You're listening to Climate Update, a podcast brought to you by the Climate Change Institute of the Australian National University. Hello and welcome back to Climate Update. This episode, we'll be discussing the parallels and disconnects between the coronavirus pandemic and climate change. Recent months have seen the COVID-19 pandemic emerge as a global crisis that requires immediate and evidence-based action. And as countries have taken drastic measures to curb the spread of the virus, comparisons have begun to emerge between the global response to the pandemic as opposed to the global response to climate change. Despite the obviously fundamental differences between the two, they are both significant global challenges that require immediate action based upon scientific evidence. So, What are the similarities and differences between the two, and how and why have our responses differed, and what can we learn from the handling of the COVID-19 pandemic to apply to our response to climate change? I'm joined by Professor Mark Cowden, Director of the Climate Change Institute, to discuss these questions further. So Mark, thank you very much for joining me today. A pleasure, Lamise. So we'll start off with, is there a basis for comparison between the COVID-19 pandemic and climate change, and if so, what is it? I think there's a whole series of similarities between uh, climate change and the COVID pandemic. Firstly, is that both of them are essentially invisible. We can't see the virus, nor can we see the greenhouse gases that come from our cars or our power stations. They're both similar in that they both have lagged effects. So uh, we don't know that we've got the virus for a couple of weeks after we first come into contact with it. And likewise, we don't see the effects of climate change for quite some time after we've produced the emissions. They both have an exponential nature that the impacts go up faster and faster over time. They both have personal to global implications. So they cross every level from the individual right up to the whole of the Earth system. They both have systemic impacts across our economy and society our systems generally, and that means we have to have integrated responses. We can't have fragmented responses and expect good results. And lastly, they both impact mostly on disadvantaged people. So given that there is quite a lot of shared similarity between uh, the COVID pandemic and climate change, uh, why do you think there has been such a different response between the two? And what could we learn from the way we have responded to COVID on a personal, organisational and governmental level? And how can we change, apply that to change how we're responding to climate change? Well, I guess one of the things we've learned is to some extent the fallacy of framing climate change only as a long-term issue. So part of the reason why I think we've had such a rapid and significant response to to the COVID pandemic is because it was a a clear short-term impact requiring a short-term response, a here and now present danger issue. Whereas climate change is often framed as a long-term future issue. But when we actually look at the data and what's going on, it's very clear that climate change is very much a here and now issue. And given that it's a clear and present danger right now, it actually follows logically that we need to have the similar responses to the COVID pandemic, we need to be responding significantly and immediately and strategically. But there's other things I think we've learnt from the COVID pandemic that can apply to climate change. Firstly, early action is largely good action. Rapid responses reduce the damage, they reduce the cost, 
they reduce the duration of the issue and they increase the ability to wind it back to make it reversible. And in fact, I think a really important thing for both climate change and the corona pandemic is it's very difficult for a late response to be a good response. So I think we've learned a little bit about how we need to frame our responses. Rapid, significant. We've also learned that uncertainty did not stop the COVID pandemic response. At the start of this process, we didn't have a lot of data to go on, but that didn't stop us making huge public health decisions and huge economic decisions. And so we did that largely in the face of uncertainty, in the face of inadequate knowledge. And I would actually argue that we know much, much more about climate change and the trade-offs between different responses and different choices than we do about COVID. But in the case of COVID, it actually didn't hinder action, but in the case of climate change, it does. And that's shown us that there's very inconsistent responses across these different types of issues. We also learnt that cost of response is not a big issue. In terms of GDP, the cost of many of the COVID responses are huge. Similarly, the cost in terms of, of social and mental health and other issues has been very large. And yet that didn't stop us from making those decisions. So if we actually think about this, that big mistake in terms of the JobKeeper money allocation, the $60 billion error term in JobKeeper, if we actually applied that to climate change, that amount of money is essentially enough to move Australia into a renewable electricity system. And so that would be a really big part of transitioning us to 2050. So the sort of costs that we're you know, really stumping up in terms of, of COVID and the COVID pandemic are actually translatable to very, very significant responses to climate change, enough to really achieve a lot in terms of emission reductions and avoiding the long-term issues associated with climate change. A lot of the COVID response uh, from all levels, from individual to governmental, has required people sort of heeding the advice of experts. So in the case of COVID, you know, public health experts. Do you think this pandemic has sort of reshaped how we view expertise? And do you think this will have um, perhaps implications for how we listen to experts on climate change? Look, I, I hope so. Um, I, I think a lot of people have reframed how we see experts and, and importantly, I just mentioned how early action tends to be good action. Even better is when we have informed early action. And to get informed early action, we need to have expertise on hand. We need to have people who know their stuff and who know how to apply that to the systems and the solutions that we need. So I think that's been a really big step forward, that the value of that informed expertise, that informed early action, um, is really large. Secondly, I think we've learned that that having that information being put into the political decision-making process not only improves the results that we get out of those decisions, but it actually improves the status and standing of the policymakers and politicians themselves. So, for example, um, Angela Merkel, who has a science background and gets the science, uh, it really significantly boosted her uh, standing in the polls in Germany because she was taking on board that expert advice and making good decisions for the German people as a result. 
So I think there's a, there's a benefit uh, to the decision makers by being seen to align with good experts. And we, and we can see that all over the world, how prime ministers and presidents line up with um, clear experts in the, in the subject matter. I think, however, because we have inadequate data on something like the coronavirus, the pandemic, and how our responses are going to play out, there is inevitably going to be some dispute between different experts. And we've seen that play out in Australia, for example, with some of the arguments about border opening and closing, um, and also arguments about schools opening and closing, and quite uh, black and white positions, positions at quite some variance. And that uh, uncertainty in association with the underlying understanding um, then translates into the views of those experts. And what then happens is that it pushes back the risk in terms of different decisions back onto the decision makers, onto the policy makers. And, and that's quite legitimate, but it needs to be understood that expert advice does not solve everything. It doesn't remove all the risk. There still is a need for good judgment at the political level. So we've seen during the coronavirus pandemic issues of equity arise quite strongly and clearly, uh, specifically how the virus impacts certain demographics more so than others. Do you think this mirrors how climate change also uh, carries disproportionate impact to uh, certain people within our global population? I, I actually think you're right. It's the equity issues that come up in terms of uh, coronavirus and the pandemic really play out, I think, very similarly in terms of climate change. So what we first saw uh, in terms of the coronavirus was some commentators saying that this was actually a great leveller because everyone could get the virus, whether you're the poorest person or the wealthiest person. And But what we've actually found uh, through uh, events in the subsequent months is that the coronavirus pandemic proportionately impacts in a negative way on women, on the poor, and on disadvantaged racial groups. And it's very much similar to climate change, is that climate change happens everywhere, it impacts on everyone in some way, but it's very apparent that exactly the same things happen, is that climate change impacts mostly on women, on the poor, and on disadvantaged groups. And so there's that very similar sort of play in which these issues um, evolve over time. And, and I think what we need to learn is that you can't solve a lot of these issues without solving the underlying equity issues, the underlying vulnerability issues that cause people to be vulnerable, that cause people to be exposed, that cause people to um, get more damaged uh, from these events. Looking to the long-term recovery from the coronavirus, are there options that would allow us to recover economically but also tackle climate change at the same time? Very much so. Uh, there's a few studies which are coming out now which um, plan out potential responses, uh, which look at the potential long-term economic benefits associated with different responses, You know, things like uh, building efficiency, retrofitting, putting in good renewable energy infrastructure, things like that, and comparing those particular developments with the greenhouse gas implications of those developments. And what turns out is that there are a whole series of sensible options that both have very substantial long-term impacts and very substantial reductions in greenhouse gas emissions. So 
by choosing good response options, we can make a really significant contribution to trajectories which not only improve our standards of living, uh, but also improve our environment through reduction in greenhouse gas emissions. And, but really importantly, to do that effectively, we need to start making good choices. We need to be start making informed choices that take into account not just our existing situation, uh, but also the long-term responses in terms of um, livelihoods, in terms of economic development, in terms of greenhouse gas emissions. And what we've found from the coronavirus pandemic is that we can actually reduce our greenhouse gas emissions very substantially and very quickly. So that's what's happened in this half of the year. Uh, our emissions probably for this whole year will be down between something like four and 8%. Uh, and and that's happened incredibly quickly, and that's a very substantial reduction. We haven't seen that reduction any time in our history. But that's happened with a lot of pain. You know, we all know the, the consequences of the economic decisions that we've been made and pushing us towards recession, etc. But the thing is that none of those coronavirus responses, the policy responses, were done with the intent of reducing greenhouse gas emissions. And we actually are very, very sure that we can design a whole series of policy responses that reduce those greenhouse gas emissions without the pain and suffering that we've occurred through the coronavirus pandemic shutdown. So I think we can actually learn that, yes, we can make a big difference. We can make that quickly, um, but we can also do that smartly without the pain and suffering that we've encountered over the several last several months. And the other thing I think we've learned from the coronavirus pandemic is that the best responses are ones which integrate the collective response, the policy responses, but also the individual responses. And when you get both governments and people and industry working together, that's when we can really make rapid progress. Thank you very much for joining me today, Mark. Oh, it's been, been really great. Thanks, Lamise. And thank you for listening to the Climate Update podcast. To stay tuned for our next episode, you can subscribe on your favourite podcast streaming platform, like and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at ANU Climate, or you can check out our website and subscribe to our newsletter at www.climate.anu.edu.au.